Alright, okay, oh, we're on, we're on, alright, 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 this is your host for the most, well, most of the time here in Sunnyside, Dubai. Uh, today, I got a special guest. Uh, this is not going to be about crypto and blockchain, technically, but it's kind of connected. But here's the thing, though, this is, uh, just to keep, uh, basically what, uh, what, what my guy right here, he's working on is he's helping human beings like you and me to fly. Basically, in yes. a very oversimplified way. So I thought that's really fascinating. So I'll tell you what. I'm going to let Andrea introduce himself to the Cryptoverse, the Cryptocosm, all you lovely folks here in Dubai and all around the world. Who he is, where he came from, what is he up to, yes. and how this idea came up to be. So please, sir, take it away. Yes, so first of all, thank you for inviting me. Uh, I'm Andrea Giannini. I'm the co-founder and CTO of ExoVolar. At ExoVolar, we build exoskeletons to make people fly. We want to make our technology accessible to everyone. But I'll give you a little bit of an overview of myself. First of all, I'm in Dubai too here, uh, and uh, we are gaining a lot of traction here especially, but I'll tell you more on that later. So I was born and raised in Italy, and in the south of Italy. And I grew up mostly playing basketball, playing the piano, and playing video games. And I've always been fascinated by the world of electronic systems. I really believe that electronics changed the world. And it's going to continue to change the world in the future to come as well. It literally made our world better. So I remember the first day, I, was, I think I was probably eight or nine years old, when I opened my first computer case. And still that day, even today, what really fascinates me is how something so complex that can be an ensemble of wires, printed circuit boards, and all the little black box on the PCB, which are integrated circuits, can create something so intuitive and easy to use, a desktop computer, that even a kid with little to no training at all can learn how to use in a few minutes. So since that moment on, I decided I was going to spend my entire life learning how computer works and how I became a computer engineer. So I have a bachelor in electrical engineering and computer science and a master in electrical engineering and computer science. So after my bachelor, I worked at CERN in Geneva, uh, one of the experiments with the Large Hadron Collider in Switzerland. And then after my oh, wow. master's degree, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a fun. Uh, that was a fun experience, actually. I can tell you one thing that I really liked about CERN. Um, it's that I'm from Italy, but I was working close to someone from US, the UAE, and Saudi, and China. And we never oh, really? cared wow. about the different ethnicity and the different yeah. religion. We just were all together working for the same purpose, the same goal. And uh, so that's something really, really, really beautiful about CERN, and one of the many experiences I had there. So after that, I finished my master's degree. As I mentioned, I moved to Zurich. In Zurich, I was working at ETH, and I was working as a computer architect for deep learning applications. So computer architectures for um, AI, let's say for AI algorithm mostly. But it was in Zurich where I first approached air mobility. So first of all, it's always been a dream of mine to be able to fly, like since I was a little kid. But Marcos, I've been willing to bet you had the same dream too. Like once in a lifetime, you know, at least you wake up in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and you think, yeah. Well, I wish I could fly. And True. Uh, like when I think point, of that, I wish I could fly. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but uh, when, no, you, no, when, uh, when you talk about flying, <laughs> I know for some reason I, I keep thinking about the movie uh, Space Jam, the R. Kelly song, I Believe I Can Fly. Yeah. You know, yes, so yes. It, it stuck in my head. So, God. <laughs> yeah, right. It's the, the level of inspiration that comes from only thinking about flying. It literally makes me yeah. want to do more in my own living and inspires me to push beyond the limit of what we believe is possible. Like up yeah. until this point, we literally built everything around us being constrained by gravity. Everything that's around us, we built and we lived knowing that gravity was a constraint. Instead of being able to yeah. fly, I truly believe we completely unlock our abilities to design beyond our own imagination. So in the future, we'll build flying cities and even play Quidditch. There are so many things that you can do uh, when you can fly. So in Zurich, I approach air mobility. So I was an engineer, and I remember I was working very close to the office of Raffaello D'Andrea. 
Raffaello D'Andrea was the founder of Kiva Systems, and they were working on robots for inventory. So they were able to basically cut down the time and the cost of running inventory in factories from many hours and for many days, actually, to just hours. That company today is known as Amazon Robotics. So after we got a Oh, point, okay. Wow. Wow. At that time, the group of Raffaello D'Andrea was working on unmanned aerial vehicles. And it's so interesting to think about that millions of years ago, we started walking as humankind. Thousands of years ago, we learned how to ride horses to move faster. And hundreds of years ago, 200 ago, we built the first motor vehicle. But it wasn't until December 17, 1903, when two underrated and underfunded startup founders, Wilbur and Ovi Wright, flew for 12 seconds on the first aircraft <laughs> ever made by humankind, changing completely the meaning of transportation as we knew it. And now we have unmanned yeah. vehicle. Yeah, we have machines that can fly themselves without any inputs from an external yeah. pilot. So that's one thing that I realized. The other thing that I learned is that jackpacks are actually a thing. They're not something out of Grand Theft Auto uh, alone anymore. Uh, you can actually, they exist. The problem <laughs> is that we can't use them. Like they are very hard to use. Yeah. They're, they're not accessible to us. Sometimes you need hundreds of hours to learn how to fly a jetpack, and that translates also in thousands of dollars. So let's pick up gravity industries. Um, I remember watching, uh, while I was in Zurich, the video of Richard Browning. Uh, it was a TED Talk, and the title of the TED Talk was How I Built a Jet Suit. I was really inspired by that story. And the way they fly is that they rely a lot on your upper body strength and your ability to keep balance in the air. Basically, there are four turbojet engines, two around each arm, and one in the back. So I thought there has to be a better way. I remember that I was still a student at the time, but I contacted Richard Browning directly. And they are the pi one of the pioneers of this industry. And he answered to me. So, and I didn't know how, but I remember telling him, look, I think I can use my skills to close the gap between the advancements in controlled engineering and robotics like what they were developing with the group of Raffaello D'Andrea and the world of jetpacks to make something that is easier to use and accessible to everyone. But I had no idea how to do it. So fast forward two years, I was a computer architect in Palo Alto, California, and the company I was working for was about to get acquired. So I started looking for the next opportunity. And that's when I decided to become a founder. So after working at CERN in Zurich and in Palo Alto, California, I learned mostly two things. The first one is that no one knows everything. Like even the smartest people in the world, they do not know everything. What's important is really to that. know what you don't know. Yeah. And if you know what you don't know, you can surround yourself with people that can compensate your lack of knowledge, people even smarter than you, that can move forward and can make your vision come true. And then the other very important thing that I learned is that it doesn't matter how big of a group you work with, it can be five people, two or 70 or 75. A single person with the wrong attitude can bring down the morale of the entire group. For those two reasons, I decided to become a founder. So I decided to work to start a company and work on culture first. Even when I hire, I always hire for attitude and not for skills. Because I believe that if you have the skills but not the right attitude, first of all, they are not going to learn anything new. And they are also going to bring down the morale of the others. If you study at the attitude and not the skills, you can always learn. Always learn. Great. So... But I didn't know mechanical engineering, right? So I was an electrical engineer and I'd done so many yeah. things in that field, but I had no idea what mechanical engineering was. And so I started looking for a co-founder. I knew that, and I started looking for a co-founder. And that's when, uh, where I found 
online, mostly to AngelList, one now how a current co-founder of XLR. I remember that the subtitle on LinkedIn used to say, I'm building a jet suit. As soon as I read that, I thought, I have to talk to this guy. So I contacted right. him, and after the first video call, I took a flight from the West Coast to the East Coast to meet him in person. And after we talked the first time, I took the second flight, and then the third flight. And then after that, I decided I was going to move from the West Coast to the East Coast to become the co-founder and CTO of XOLR. So that's how the journey started. But I can nice. tell you also a little bit more about the beginning of our time, um, especially at XOLR. So when we started working together, we knew we wanted to make this technology jet suits accessible to everyone. But we realized mostly two things. First one is that human dexterity is needed where it is hard for us to reach. Every year, hundreds of people die in disaster zones because they cannot receive medical attention on time. And the reason is that there are places where helicopters will never be able to land or take off. In those situations, jet suits can literally save lives. The other thing that we realized is that mobility-enabling technology is very limited. Not only helicopters, but also the current jetpacks, they still rely, as I mentioned before, either on your upper body strength, on your ability to keep balance. So we decided we were going to build something that is easy to use and completely hands-free. Of course, if we were to release the pilot from the effort of keeping balance in the air, we needed to find a new technology to do it. And that's when we stumbled upon thrust vectoring. Thrust vectoring is the technology used by SpaceX in landing rockets. And it's also used by fighter jet and advanced fighter jet applications. So we thought about reusing the same technology, but this time applying that on the world, in the world of jetpacks, to make something that is hands-free and completely easy to use. Of course, you cannot buy from a grocery store uh, a thrust vectoring-enabled turbojet engine. So we started redesigning our own version of it. Um, and uh, we filed a patent from the United States, and we received the patent back at the end of 2020. And the advantage of our version of thrust vectoring is that it's very, very easy to implement on small turbojet engines. I make it simple. It's How it works is basically we change dynamically the orientation of the tip that is connected to each nozzle to help the pilot mm -hmm. keep balancing okay. there. So we started yeah. building a couple of capability demonstrators, and in 2021, we built our first jet suit prototype. Uh, i be more than happy to share the video later. Uh, we have four okay. two-budget engines, uh, two around each leg, and each nozzle, each engine has thrust vectoring technology that allows each nozzle to independently move with respect to one another. So long story short, it really works like a Segway in midair. Basically on a Segway, when you want to move forward, you lean forward and the wheels start okay. spinning so that you don't fall, right? And by balancing mechanical forces, yeah. everything starts moving forward, right? It is the same thing in midair, but this time with turbo engines. You lean forward and the nozzle of the engines turn to push you back. And by balancing on the kind oh, okay. forces, everything starts flying forward. So it really works like shifting your center of gravity. We are the segue of the air. So we demonstrated tethered hovering, and after sharing the video internally, we started gaining um, some traction. So we received an MOU and multiple allies from different industry partners, a letter of support from the United States Air Force, because they want to use our technology for uh, search and rescue, reconnaissance and surveillance, mostly for first response application. Then we received a grant okay. from the state of New Jersey, uh, plus the investment from Techstars. I'm a Techstars alumni in 2022. And then recently, as I was mentioned oh, okay. to you before, uh, the Draper Startup House, which is backed by Tim Draper, that I met a couple of weeks ago in Riyadh at Leap. Um, they decided to invest. Oh, in nice! Us as yeah, well. yeah. yeah. I, I'm sure yeah, yeah, yeah. the event in Le event in in Riyadh must have been pretty uh, amazing, uh, as far as I heard yeah. from other people too. So, okay. Yeah, it was nice. great. Like, um, it's really incredible what Saudi is doing. Like, they are yeah. attracting so many entrepreneurs and so many innovators uh, to 
to Riyadh and, other, and Neom as well. Like Neom is such an amazing project uh, that as soon as you step in, you feel like the same way as I, I feel when I step in Dubai. You feel like the future is coming to reality. Yeah. What's impossible is not anymore impossible, but it can be made real. Um, yeah. So yes, I met Tim Draper, uh, which was uh, nice. w- was interesting because uh, Tim Draper was is one. It, what was it like though? Like, not many people get to meet him though, you know. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, like, what yeah. was it like? Uh, yeah, it was interesting. Uh, because, I mean, he's one of the LPs of the Draper Startup House. They invested. Um, he's very tall. He's one ninety. I'm probably more than one ninety. But I'm 205, so I'm very tall too. <laughs> so it was interesting because, like, right. I, yeah, I, yeah. I don't think it happens so many times that he finds someone taller than him. Uh, but he was definitely uh, interested in the, in the company and was happy that we are building exoskeletons to make people fly. Mm-hmm. Because if I can fly, he can fly too. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, um, I met you. I yeah. met you in person. You're a pretty tall guy, so I'm like, that's okay. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that was definitely an interesting conversation. And we are going to talk more uh, with him soon, uh, I think, in in April when I'm back in New York. So uh, after Mm -hmm. that, um, as I mentioned, like our first application is first response, but we don't want to stop there. By 2025, we want to open the first ever made flight park so that anyone can truly experience the dream of flying in one of our jet suits in a safe space. And that's right. the goal to scalability. Like thanks to trust factoring, we can reduce the training time from hundreds of hours to little to no training time at all. That means that you can learn how to fly in wow. two minutes. Yeah. The Whoa, first suit huge. is good. That is huge. Yes. Man. Wow. Yeah. Uh, that's a wow. Okay. Sorry, sorry. Please go ahead. Uh, sorry, I just got no, no, away no. because I know it's a lot of flight time and stuff. Uh, you know, talking to my pilot friends and all, but this is like a whole game changer. Yeah, completely. It will completely change the world of jetpacks and jet suits and also the way we think about flying. Like there are so many, even misconceptions about flying. For instance, we are more scared about flying than driving while the number of casualty per hours, um, number of casualty per unit of time flying, it's order of magnitude lower than the number of casualty per unit of time driving. Um, so this technology, the technology that we use to make airplanes, it's already safe enough, even way more safe than a driving car. Agreed. Um, so we are working toward to get to that point, but there already exists an example of it, like airplanes, for instance. Um, so, but in order to get to the point, the first customers will fly tethered, and the tethered will provide all the safety that is necessary uh, to. Um, to learn how to fly in a few minutes. And we want to open the first flight park here in Dubai. We're going to fly untethered by the end of this year. Um, I really hope actually in a few months from now, as soon as the cold in New York oh, yeah. uh, goes away. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah. Now it's been, it's been really cold. Sometimes you just don't want to go out at all. Agreed, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. but for the first, uh, for the first customer, they will fly in a tethered fashion. Uh, so there's going to be a safety cable and you can fly. I can see this happening, flying back and forth um, on the Gulf, on the Persian Gulf, from a few hundred meters over to Bali, for instance. Mm-hmm. But we don't want to stop wow. there. Like my vision goes way beyond that. Yeah. There is an entire space on our planet that we never access as easily as we access the ground, and that space it's the sky. Being able to fly and completely unlock our imagination, as I mentioned before. Um, I. Th- talked about even playing Quidditch would be possible. But I really want to see what everyone will be able to do when anyone will truly be able to experience the superpower of flight. And that's mostly the reason, like what I hope for the future, this is something that I don't share too often, but um, I want to see a kid looking outside the window and seeing people fly and thinking about space exploration, teleportation, and making other people fly instead of fighting over resources or differences in ethnicity and religions. And that's the world I want to live in. Yeah. No, 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 that, no, that's, no, that's a great, no, that's not, look, that's an uh, admirable uh, ambition, you know, and, and a goal for our future, you know, so, um, yeah. you know, uh, because I, mean, I think when you mentioned about, you know, 
one of the use cases because uh, I guess aside from you know you know the quidditch uh, like the quidditch game yeah. or you know just just the uh, kind of like the entertainment experience but I was like kind of want to ask you outside of the you know like first responder I mean I could see this exoskeleton suit be used for you know like traditional purposes like say for example cleaning like cleaning buildings yes or yes. maybe uh, I, I I don't know like um Say, for example, you're cleaning a ship or something like that, you know, like, um, yeah, I, that, that, actually, I, I know, I, sorry, I apologize. That's the only thing I can think of, but I'm sure there's way more applications out there that has to yeah, be, yeah. you know, so. Yeah, of course. Like, this is just the first step. Like, for first response, there is a huge demand, meaning that the U.S. military tried to develop this technology since the 40s, but there the, the, the was, let's say, the technology yeah. readiness level, now talking um with the most military term, was not ready enough to fly untethered in the disaster zones, but now it is. But this is literally okay. just the first step. Sports and entertainment yeah. is the fastest go to market, go to market, which allow also to fly without the certification and without a license. But there's so much more, and I can give you a couple of examples. For instance, um, okay, we were approached by we registered interest from General Electric to use our technology for inspection and maintenance of turbines. Like today, oh, okay. uh, uh, wow. today, unfortunately, people still use helicopters to do inspection and maintenance of turbine. And there are mostly three problems with helicopters. The first one is that they are very expensive. The cheapest is $5.5 million in cost. Uh, because there's no solution, there's no alternative uh, to, to do inspection okay. and maintenance yeah. with other um, vehicles. The second problem is that they are intrinsically not green. They emit carbon dioxide and nitrous oxides. Also, I want to remind everyone that nitrous oxide is one ton of nitrous oxide. It's more than 200 tons of carbon dioxide in terms of effect on global warming. And also, they are intrinsically not safe. You need the pilot and the crew. And literally, there is a guy strapped to an helicopter to do inspection and maintenance. Hangs from an helicopter to do inspection and maintenance of a turbine. So that's one of the many other applications. You can literally use a suit. In that case, you have a single person. You don't need a crew and a pilot. They can both do inspection and maintenance and also uh, fly. And at the same time, it will be way, way cheaper and way, way lighter. So we'll emit way less than that. Also, I want to stress the point that our engines can run 100% on sustainable aviation fuel. So we can be 100% sustainable. Uh, we haven't made the switch yet, but at ExoVolar, we are offsetting all our carbon dioxide emissions since last month, actually. So we are offsetting all our emissions. So we are we try to be as carbon neutral as we can, meaning okay. that we are, unless I made some mistakes in the calculations, but yeah. And uh, okay. uh, so, and also we signed uh, an MOU with a hydrogen powertrain company to potentially build a hydrogen powertrain for jet suits. And I'm looking personally okay, that's to file. Yeah, yeah. And we also have another, let's say, we are fighting for uh, a grant to use alternative batteries uh, to run uh, all our suits uh, with electric engines mostly. Um, but anyway, that being said, so inspection and maintenance, it's definitely in other applications. But as you mentioned, yeah, there are so many more. Like, um, that's why, I mean, me, how we are all human beings, right? We are definitely limited. And we want to see what people yeah. will come up to. That's something that we usually ask even when we have a flight club and we have a wait list for people that want to fly. And we okay. usually ask what are the other applications that you might think of. There are so many things that we did uh, and we we could have not done in, in other ways because we were not flying. So I mentioned the flying cities. Like, for instance, a couple of days ago, I was talking with a with a friend here in Dubai, and he mentioned, I always had this dream, Andrea, since I was a kid, to build a flying hotel. Can you imagine if you're telling me there, and you can only reach it by flying there, and you have all the, you know, it's all structured in a way that it's accommodating people flying in and out. And that's another example. Or even, just to give you another one, even Amazon filed a patent. This is true, they filed a patent a few years ago for, um, a flying factory to store basic to um, store packages in midair, like having a um, having a temporary storage place in midair, so you can fly a drone or a jet. Wait, for real? To, oh. 
Yeah, yeah, for real, for real. They find a pattern if you. Oh wow! Years. It was, yeah, it was a provisional, but uh, still. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking like, wow. Okay, like this is like a like a giant, you know, warehouse up in the sky. The I'm, I'm sure it's going to yeah. be like a couple of kilometers up there. But that's 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 interesting. Okay. Yeah. Uh, never yeah. really thought about that. I, I, I have seen like uh, concepts of say like you know flying cities or okay hotel. Yeah. Warehouse, it is kind of interesting, but I don't know. At the same time, too, Amazon, I don't know. But uh, yeah. I'm cool with the hotel thing, but the warehouse, it's kind of like a fast fresh for me. But yeah. now when I yeah, think yeah. about it, it can, I guess it kind of uh, makes sense, I guess. Like, um, I mean, the way the economy is growing and stuff. So I think you can yeah, streamline we'll, we'll, a lot we'll of see things. That. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I didn't do the math personally, but actually it's uh, cost-effective to have a flying warehouse. But people are thinking about yeah. it and they are finding gotcha. passions about it. Uh, so mm. I, I really like the time we are right now because it feels like the future is coming to reality. And, okay. Uh, so it's, it's, it's great to be part of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I got to ask you this, um, because I, you know, I shared with my fiance earlier, Hey, I'm, I'm talking to you, you know, you know, talking yeah. to the X, X of Allah suit and stuff. So I, I, I think one of the things she asked me was, okay, if, you know, you know, thinking about the Jetsons, right. So I know, uh, uh, yeah. uh, you know, like the, you have like, you know, the, a bunch of cars, you know, going traffic in the sky and stuff or say like Star Wars, you know, you're in the city, you're on the planet of Coruscant, you know, you see all this traffic, you know, um, yeah. Do you kind of envision that, you know, people using the Exovalar suit, you know, like follow, you know, like kind of like following a traffic in a, in midair? Is that something uh, strikes the imagination yes. or do you have a totally different yes. view on that? No, no. Yes. 100%. Um, air mobility is definitely the next step. Uh, the issue with air mobility right now is the lack of regulation, but there are already people flying air taxi right now. Uh, they already exist, the technology is already there. And definitely a jet suit can be an alternative to an air taxi, like a motorcycle is for a car. You can park a jet suit yeah. in your garage. In order to park your air taxi in your garage, there needs to be some redesign. So I can see that happening. And uh, yeah. since you mentioned about traffic, and since we are in MENA, uh, I really believe that air mobility in general can offer a great, safe, and green alternative to... Uh, mobility itself. But let's talk about safety first. The first cause mm. of death in MENA, in uh, Middle East and North Africa, for people below 29 years old are car accidents. I really believe that air mobility can offer a safer solution. And um, like, for instance, flying is intrinsically safer than driving. Um, I don't remember if I mentioned this before, but the number of casualty per unit of time flying, it's order of magnitude lower than the number of casualty per unit of time driving. It, and still, it's easier to find someone that is scared about flying rather than someone that is scared about driving. And the other advantage is that for the same number of vehicles spread out on a two-dimensional place, like the road and the streets, a three-dimensional space offers way more, like way more possibility. If you think about, it, we were constrained to drive in a two-dimensional, uh, two-dimensional plane up to this point, but having a three-dimensional space with spread out this for the same number of cars will make things intrinsically safer. Because at the end, traffic means that we spend too long in cars. If we can fly, we're going to reach point from point A to point B in a shorter amount of time. And shorter amount of time translates directly in saving lives. So I do believe that air mobility is a great solution to solve so many problems, especially the problem of traffic casualties. And I can see people flying around in the future as well in one of our jet seats. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. No, hey, thank you for the insight about the traffic stuff, because I know that'll be, you know, I'm sure that's one of the first things, you know, people think about, right? Um, yeah. I can tell you uh, another thing about that, actually, uh, now that I remember. Uh, there is, um, so even if we start flying, and even if we have a three-dimensional place, still that might be uh, trafficking uh, in air, right? Um, right. But today, there are already company, 
company that are already working on autonomous air traffic control. So it's very easy to create, it's way easier to create lanes in midair than it, than it is to create lanes on the ground. And to give you another example, people today talk about autonomous ground vehicles, right? Cars that right. drive themselves. Yeah, um, like a typical Tesla's, you know, I know yeah, they have their own yeah. AI thing going. Yeah, they have level one, level two, level three, until yeah. the level five that I used to call the Batman level, where you can literally call your car and can pick you up and you can go away, uh, like in the movies. Oh, basically. okay. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> uh, it's, but we have, now we are talking today about ground, autonomous ground vehicles, but autonomous aerial vehicles, they've been out for so many decades, not a manual vehicle like UAVs, but autopilot. The autopilot feature yeah. in airplanes has been around for so long. And the reason is that it's intrinsically easier to fly because you don't have a lot of obstacles. So it, right now, having an autonomous flight controller, it's way easier than create an autonomous ground controller for a vehicle. Uh, but still, of course, if we start increasing the number of cars in midair, there might still be a problem. So today there are companies that are already creating, for instance, air domes, and inside each air domes, there are lanes that are completely regulated. So if you fly a vehicle in one of those lanes that for some reason it starts steering away, it can autonomously go back in, in the lane, which is something that only now people are thinking about cars, but there are already people thinking about since years ago for okay. the future to come, for the future of mobility. Interesting. That, no, that, that, that's fascinating to learn about. Uh, there's already, you know, people have come up with some, I guess, ideas or, I guess, theoretical stuff. Yeah, but it's possible to make it happen. I yeah. one of my other questions is that I just want to circle back to the energy side. Because, you know, one is the electric, you talk about electric energy or using hydrogen. Yeah. Uh, I'm kind of curious about that. So uh, I, I guess you're using some sort of like a sustainable fuel. Um, I mean, could, could you elaborate on, you know, like what, uh, what are the various energy sources? Um, yeah. The suit yeah, 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 using potentially. Right. So um, there is one issue. So why are we, now we are using JetA. JetA is the same fuel that goes in airlines. Um, which is a non-sustainable aviation fuel. But our engines are 100% compatible with SAF, with sustainable aviation fuel. And uh, we are planning on making this switch really soon. Uh, in the meanwhile, since R&D takes some time, we are offsetting 100% of our carbon dioxide emission. Um, so we are completely carbon neutral at XOLR, since very recently, actually. That being said, let's talk about other sources. Um, so... Yeah. Let's talk about batteries first. There is one issue with the current battery technology, and unfortunately, it doesn't seem it's going to improve by too much in the future, unless we uh, change basically completely technology from lithium-ion batteries to something different. I'll try to make it simple. So basically, the um, for the same flight time, roughly, you need to carry 40 to 60x the weight of the fuel tank in batteries. And that's the major issues. That basically is the joule per kilogram of batteries. It's very low. Um, so you need to carry 40 to 60x the weight of the, of, the, of the power source. So why does it work for cars? Well, the reason is that cars are carrying a lot of weight in batteries. They uh, accept to carry 300, 400 kilograms of, of batteries. But in the long term, because of electricity, it's very cheap. It is cost-effective to actually have an electric car. The capex right now, it's, it's really, really high. You need to spend some money to have an equivalent electric car. Um, I really do believe there is an opportunity to, um, for the government to implement some policies to reduce the, uh, the price. And I'm not going to derail from the topic. Um, but in the long term, it's convenient. It's very cost-effective. The issue with flying is that sometimes you can't accept that weight. Uh, sometimes the weight is it's a little bit too high. So what are the other sources? There's hydrogen, for instance. Hydrogen is great because hydrogen, you can carry 3x the more specific energy density than fuel. So what does it mean? That with respect to fuel, you have to carry one third of the weight. So why are we not using hydrogen right away? Because... 
it's not like there are two major way of using hydrogen right now. One is to use the gas form of hydrogen. Yeah. The problem is that hydrogen is the lightest element in the universe. So it's going to take a lot, a big volume. Even if you compress it, it's still very big to carry on a single person jet suit. Oh, okay. So you can carry liquid. By liquefy hydrogen, well, you can make it, uh, you can, let's say, quote unquote, compress it. There's a change of state, but you can uh, reduce the volume of it um, a little bit more than what is compressed uh, hydrogen. The issue is that in order to keep it liquefied, you need to um, basically keep it at a temperature that is lower than minus 200 Celsius. Um, and in order to keep it at that temperature, there is a fixed cost in terms of volume and mass for the cooling system and uh, the and let's say the, you still need a battery outside of the um, fuel cells which are now the quote-unquote tank for hydrogen uh, but without getting too much into the details if you want to keep it liquid there's a lot of fixed costs related to what's all around to actually make it work there's sometimes even for 100 kilowatt of power, you need to carry hundreds of kilograms just for for the for the infrastructure that's around. So that's why uh, we are Jet A. Unfortunately, is still the best um, in terms of specific energy density. Uh, they're still the best solutions for us. But there is sustainable aviation fuel uh, that is more or less as performant as Jet A. Uh, the only difference is that it costs twice as much. As as today, but we the, our game is not there. It's not about yeah. the cost of fuel. So that's why we're making the switch soon. At the same time, we are working through alternative batteries. As I mentioned before, there mm. is a, an opportunity to use a completely different technology. Yeah, and I can mention one, for instance, which is aluminum air technology. India, India is spending uh, a lot of money on the. On using aluminum air technology in cars, for instance. And the oh, advantage okay. of aluminum air is that it's just for the same, um, we're talking about ground equals for the same uh, distance, let's say, and same speed, let's say, uh, uh, normalizing all the parameters. You just need to carry 30% more weight than fuel on average. The problem of aluminum air batteries, they're not rechargeable. So uh, basically you need to scrape the rust quote unquote it's not okay. literally that but basically okay. that's what happens to remove the rust out of the aluminum to reuse it so you have to bring it to a smelting facility interesting uh, but that that can be a potential solution for the future of small air mobility systems um i still don't know but like uh, we are working uh, toward different in, in different angles in different aspects but we'll see in the future all right, interesting. All right, okay, cool. No, 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 thank you for the wonderful insight on the energy side of it. Um, yeah. Okay, let, let, let's talk about just the suit itself. Um, yeah. Is it, I know, like, uh, I, I know, like, do you have, like, some sort of, like, a customized, I know, like, a, like a system on it or something, like, or, like, a framework, or is it, like, pretty standard, I guess? I uh, yeah, it's 100% non-standard. There is no uh, no standard and it's all custom made. Okay. And the beauty is that uh, we did uh, everything in-house. Of course, you know, for, especially for the for the strapping of the suit right now, it's yeah, those are things that you can buy off the shelf. Uh, but mostly our core technology, transvectoring technology, that's something that we developed completely in-house. Okay. Uh, the first jet suit prototype, we actually built in two. Um, it's interesting, like, w when we started the company, we were a garage company. We are a COVID garage company. <laughs> so we started in 2020. All and right. uh, uh, we had, I, I swear, we, had, uh, we started in New Jersey, and we had bullet holes from the windows. So, uh, like, <laughs> oh, wow. oh, New Jersey, that's, that's all that. Yeah, exactly. That was a little bit sketchy. And we did so many... Uh, things we were not allowed to do, like running turbojet engines indoor, uh, or uh, which is completely... uh, they don't need to. They, need, they, need, they don't need to worry about. It. They got other things to yeah. deal with, right? So yeah, <laughs> I like yeah. it. I like that. And and we started doing everything ourselves. And of course, we made so many mistakes along the way, but we fixed them all. And then we made new mistakes until we got to the point where we were able to demonstrate 
tether hovering in October 2021. So it's all custom made. It took us a lot of iteration to make that. Okay. And now we have an amazing team. Now we are six people. All right. Uh, we are working uh, three full time, three part time. And we have a beautiful co-working space in, in Brooklyn, uh, in New Lab, and we 3D printer CNC machines. And so that's, nice. that's why we are doing most of our prototyping ourselves. Okay. Of course, we're going to outsource production, but we do yeah. 100% everything. The only thing we buy are the engine themselves. The engines are made in the Netherlands. But I can see um, it's very cost-effective to make it in-house as well. So we're probably going to switch soon. Let's say, I don't want to give a timeline, but okay. it makes sense for us in the future to build our own as well. Interesting. So you got the like the engine from Netherlands, but I'm kind of curious about yeah. the US though. Like, mm-hmm. are, are there... Because um, I see, because, you know, they also... Because I, I, as far as I understand, the United States is sort of like a, a leader in the avionics side of things, right? So... Yeah. Um, I know. I, I was just kind of curious about that. Like, are, are there any suppliers or people who kind of build these? Uh, I guess what do you call uh, miniature engines? Pe- yeah, pe- people that can build uh, pineapple side turbo jet engines. Yes, there are people that actually do it. There are not so many um, because okay. mostly these engines were built for um, RC copters. Believe it or not, there are people that spend uh, tens of thousands of dollars to actually buy turbojet engines to put on their uh, radio control vehicles. And so that was so for that reason, there are not so many partners. Um, one of them oh, is okay. uh, AMT Jets in the Netherlands. Jetcat is another one, but I'm not sure if, uh, if they are here. Um, so, but there are not so many partners. Yeah. Okay. I can definitely see that happening in the future, though. I can definitely okay. see as soon as we grow the industry of personal mobility, more partners will come in. Okay. Yeah. Because my understanding is, you know, I guess the like the aviation or the, I guess the aviation industry, in the grand scheme, it is kind of small in terms of like the technology. Like it's a, it's a. So like yeah. a club, <laughs> in a sense. Yeah. Right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And of course, highly regulated too. Right. I mean, uh, yeah. so interesting. Um, all right. So we we covered about uh, the you know the energy side, traffic, safety. What are the things we, we uh, you you want people to know about air mobility? Um, any. Are there any uh, fringe technologies uh, that could add value to what you guys are working on? Um, I want to, yes, definitely the advancement in uh, power sources can definitely add values for us as well. Um, because uh, like, uh, it's not only about sustainability. Yeah. Uh, it's also about, uh, for instance, one uh, turbojet engines right now are uh, a little bit noisy. And uh, they still, uh, the, the stream that comes out of a turbo jet engine is still very hot. Um, it's basically, turbo jet engines works by accelerating air and by creating a volume expansion outside of the turbo jet engine. And since the volume is expanding and the pressure of the air is the same in input and output, the temperature is very high. So long story short, you have a certain temperature at the entrance, at the inlet, and you have way more uh, larger temperature in the outlet. Using electric ducted fan, for instance, like propellers, that would uh, instead um, solve a lot of problems because you don't have any more the temperature increase in the output. The problem is that in order to use electric ducted fan, you need uh, uh, either a hybrid, for instance, using, I think there are possibilities of using hybrid engines, uh, sorry, hybrid power sources, like between uh, um, sustainable aviation fuel and electric, for instance, okay. or completely electric solutions. That would definitely be a game changer because we could move directly to something that is sustainable. There have been examples of, um, let's say, personal air mobility solutions that are completely electric. The problem is that the flight time is literally a few minutes. I said we want to move directly to uh, 15 to 30 minutes. And for that, we need some breakthrough in technology. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Uh, yeah, because I was about to ask you... Actually, the one question I was about to ask you, do you think it's possible for someone to fly, say, like, you know, one or two hours? I mean, 
like yeah. uh, would that I I I don't I I assume that may take like a decade or something or more or maybe less. What's your yeah, uh, so it's all opinion. about uh, right right now. It's all about the weight that you can carry in terms mm-hmm. of fuel. Uh, I do believe we can get to between 50, now. So the first prototype, for instance, you can fly for three to five minutes. It's very short time. Yeah. It's mostly a capability demonstrator, um, and uh, it has a very very low. Um, let's say uh, there's a, there's not enough weight, for instance, for me to fly at the beginning. Because we were bootstrapped, so we, we decided to buy small engines so we can make the company go forward, right? Um, enough, but for yeah. the next one, we are the, for the next one, the, we are going to double the amount of the capacity, and we can we, we are going to be able to fly fifteen to thirty minutes. I can definitely see that happen, that increasing in the future. We can put so much fuel, and maybe we can find better sustainable ways to carry mm-hmm. more. As I mentioned before, if we solve the problem of storing hydrogen. Mm. And I'm not talking about the cost of hydrogen because the cost of hydrogen is still very high if you want to produce it for green from green sources. But uh, we have some space to drive it down. So if we can make the cost of hydrogen go down and we find a way to um, carry hydrogen such that the volume is not too big and the cooling system and the entire infrastructure around it is not too heavy, yeah. we can up to triple completely. We can get three times the flight time for the same weight of fuel. So yes, you can definitely definitely go for one hour and a half and I believe way less than 10 years from now. Okay. All right. Uh, Another question. Uh, So I just just came to mind when it comes to energy. You know, we talked about hydrogen, we talked about aviation fuel and the sustainable aviation fuel. Um, Because also in the energy space too, there's also been this movement on biofuel yeah is there is there an opportunity for biofuel to be an alternative i mean yeah when i when i talk about sustainable aviation fuel that's mostly what i think of biofuels like all right okay yeah yeah like for instance uh ethanol it's uh the all aviation fuel has already part of sustainable aviation fuel in it um, and uh, oh, the, okay. uh, but, but there are ways to go 100% sustainable. The problem is the cost of the fuel. But for us, it's not really a big issue, as I mentioned before. Actually, okay. since we're talking about the cost, um, I want to mention, this is usually a question that uh, people ask me, how much it's going to cost, right? That's fantastic. Oh, oh, yeah, right? yeah, but but... I cannot afford it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, 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 right, right. So um, let's say I don't want to share the cost of the suit, yet, but I can tell you how much our competitors are selling. Uh, our competitors are selling at f- around $400,000, $450,000. I think it's slightly more than that. Okay. So it's definitely something that I personally cannot afford. So how do we make that happen? And yeah. that's where the idea of the flight park comes in. By building a flight park, you can come to one of our facilities and rent the suit and flying over water, for instance, for a couple okay. of hundred meters. Yeah. And this is the same thing that iFly is doing. iFly is an indoor skydiving place. I don't know if you've ever tried it, but it is a no, big I haven't, but in I'm, Dubai. Yeah, but I've I okay. passed by that a couple of times, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so they build indoor skydiving places where you can actually go and fly for a few hundred dollars for two to three minutes okay. in an indoor wind tunnel. We want to do the same business model, um, but of course, with a way lower capex, because our suit is way cheaper than building an iFly facility. Which to build an iFly facility is in between two to ten million dollars. Oh, so yeah. for us, it's going to be a few hundred k. But this is just the beginning. Like I like to say, well, I was a computer architect, as I told you at the beginning. Um, Whenever I used to uh, teach, uh, I, I always liked the history of computer architecture. The first computer ever made was about inflation adjusted $400,000. And now everyone has one. Everyone has multiple ones, multiple computers, multiple microprocessors in, uh, in our phones, our watches, and our laptops. Um, so progress can really drive down the cost until it will be way cheaper to even buy a jet suit. Um, I can tell you how much it costs to make right now. It's, uh, it's not much more than $100,000. So we can definitely drive down the cost in the future as well. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, cool. Then no, no, that's good. Yeah. That's uh, interesting. Uh, that's interesting to know. So, but, but you know, uh, 
I had to go back because you're, you know, I, I, I guess you, ha- you got some investment from Tim Draper from his. Uh, from the Draper Startup House. Startup House. It's, uh, it's one of the LPs. LPs? The okay. Like, yeah, yeah. But I got to, because obviously, you know, uh, I'm from the crypto and blockchain space, but I got to ask yeah. you this. Like, um, in the future, is it possible for the crypto and blockchain community to, if they want to buy one of those custom build uh, XOLA suits or maybe rent it uh, you know, through one of the XOLA flight, flight center, flight club? Yeah. Is it possible? Can I, can... All right. 100% yes. I am 100% uh, positive on the... Uh, decentralized finance uh, and so Bitcoin, Ethereum or any other cryptocurrencies, you're going to be able to use that as well to either rent or buy the suit or even join our flight club as well. Oh, nice. Hey, no, thank you. Hey, thank you for so much. I'm, I'm sure, yeah. like, uh, I think actually for me, it's, uh, I, I think it's, it, I think it kind of makes sense for me to, you know, use your suits, you know, instead of using the US dollar or Durham. You know, because I want to bring the future to our now, you know, so yeah. I think to, to me, it kind of resonates and makes sense. Like, wait, wait a minute. I think uh, we can, we in the crypto and blockchain space can support innovative, uh, you know, creative technologies like what you, what, you, what you guys are working on. So, man, yeah. uh, can't wait to be part of it and make it happen. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'll add it to our wait list. So, yeah, it's going to be one sure. of the first trying. But look, I'm also excited too that you're, you're trying to do something here in Dubai. Because, you know, just to give you some uh, little bit history, see, I was born and brought up in Dubai. I moved to the States and I, I crash landed back to Dubai. But you know <laughs> what? There's a lot of things that are happening over here. So, I, I, I'm i definitely excited to see yeah. what you guys are working on. And uh, you're definitely making some. Uh, it makes some interesting news, so I'm glad we got to connect, man. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad we yeah. met you, Marcus. Thank you so much. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, but hey, but see, uh, before you go, you know, you, you go on, continue, you know, the usual amazing stuff with XOLR. How can uh, people connect with you, reach out to you? Yeah, and who knows, maybe invest with you too. In sorry, in yeah, you. so sorry. Um, <laughs> I can be reached out through LinkedIn, Instagram, or Twitter. I'm mostly active on LinkedIn, but my handle is the same everywhere. It's uh, Ajanini94, so A-G-I-A-N-N-I-N-I-94. I share the links below? Yeah. And right. also, I want to say another thing. If you're a founder uh, right now, feel free to reach me. I'm always happy to help. Uh, no matter what. And I always answer. So LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, please just send me a message. Okay, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. No, 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 thanks for saying that because over oh, here in Dubai, we have a lot of new founders. I mean, from different industries. Uh, I, I think uh, like your story, you know, from the beginning, setting them up, um, you know, going through all this uh, growth and scale, um, would love for people to reach out to you. I think uh, you, you, your story uh, definitely has a lot of value, man. Yeah, thank yeah, you. For sure that, yeah. But anyways, hey, uh, Andrea, thank you for uh, connecting with me. I love, uh, thank you for sharing your origin story and and, and the big plans you have at uh, ExoVolar. So thank you for all that. Thank you for being here, man. Thank you, Marcos. Hope to see you in Dubai. Awesome. Uh, so anyways, all right, fam. We gotta go. Y'all be good. Y'all be safe. I'll talk to you soon. Bye for now. All right.